Welcome to another edition of Bridging the Gap. And today, just another incredible story. I've been fortunate to be able to talk with some amazing people. And Paul Fenner of Tama Wealth is another one of those great people in this industry. Tama Wealth, the name, what is behind the name is so incredible. Paul is a family man, has triplets plus one, was only wanting one child, but had three and then another. So have a total of four kids, almost a basketball team. We talk about family. We talk about business and the sacrifices that Paul made to build Tama Wealth and the people that took risks and gave him the opportunity, he is forever grateful for. This conversation was impactful, inspiring. And you also learn a little bit about the psychology of the business and what holds advisors back and how we can overcome that and how Paul overcame that within Tama Wealth. This is one of those don't miss episodes. Paul is an incredible individual, has built a great firm, and his family is an incredible story as well. Take a listen. And now let's move over and let Paul take the stage. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Paul Fenner, thanks for joining us here on Bridging the Gap. How are you doing uh, today? You having a great day? Yeah, so far so good. I only had one kid to deal with today and had to take her to the dentist for about 30 minutes. So not as painful as the last time, but she's she's a little bit of my difficult one. But I, and I won't say her name, so I'll spare her. <laughs> no, no names needed, right? Because this will live on the internet forever and you don't want something to come back and bite you in the future. And, and, and for those that aren't listening, you know, Paul has triplets plus one. So four kids. So, you know, almost a basketball team. We're going to get into all that. But, you know, having to deal with one, that's why it's so, so much of a win, right? You have to deal with all of them. And last time you were dealing with, you know, multiple ones, you know, some of them being sick and having to juggle all of that. So, you know, I guess let's just kick it off. What's the key? You want to just tell us the key to life right now at the beginning of the podcast? <laughs> let's just get into that. The key of dealing with three triplets plus one. You know, my my wife and I, Teresa, have had this mantra where since we had them, so my triplets are 11, they turned 11 back in December, and my plus one is nine. And we've been, we, we just t- took the approach where we're going to, you know, take things one day at a time. And one day of a, at a time has taken us from newborns all the way through to, like I said, now they're 11 and nine years old. And one of the, one of the, I remember back in my corporate career, even before I started Tama, my, my wealth planning firm, the truest truism I've ever heard about being a parent is the days are long and the years are short. And that is by far the most factual thing that I've experienced in my 11 or so 11 years and some months now of, of being a father is that it, it does. And I'm sure that I'll look back and say that, you know, I want these days back, just like when I was going through, like when they were toddlers and two and three and potty training and not getting sleep at night, or like, how the heck are we ever going to get through this? And then you do. And then when you look back, it's like, you remember, but then it, you remember it not being so bad. The only year or only time period where like I would really like to scratch off is that first year that because yeah. I, I suffer from migraines and sleep deprivation is a is a major trigger of mine. And so I actually drew the midnight shift. So I would work during the day at my corporate job. So I was, I was in corporate finance, accounting operations. I'd come home probably around six o'clock, eat real quick, talk to Teresa, see the kids for a little bit. And then I try to be in bed by eight. And then I would get up at 1230 to do the first round of feeding. And a round is an hour and a half because you have three kids and they all take about 30 minutes. 
So that was an hour and a half. Then I'd get to sleep for maybe an hour, hour and a half, and then get them back up at like, I think it was like four o'clock and do it all over again. And then once I was done, I'd stayed up and got showered, cleaned up, whatever, and then went off to work. So that first year was brutal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that it's brutal for a parent, a new parent of just one child. I mean, think about a new parent of three ch- children because you had three kids that you had the triplets first and then the plus one second. I can't even imagine that. And you know, the, 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 your point about the years are, the, the days are long and the years are short. It rings so true. And I've heard that. And I, I'm on the other side of the spectrum of the toddler and the newborn. And like, even with my newborn, she's two months old now. I can find myself being like, gosh, I just can't wait till she's like six months able to hold her head up. You know, she's a little, but then you're missing out on all the other time. And so like, you catch yourself because you can't go back. You don't want it to go by because it's going to go by too fast anyway. So you've got, I catch myself there all the time, but it's, it's hard to do when you got your two and a half year old, you know, having a tantrum, your two month old wailing you're like gosh i just can't wait till this day gets over and i go to the next one but it is just kind of in the moment being defined in the present type of situation right yeah and the one thing that that i've been very cognizant of as, as well especially when i talk to families and parents that have older kids whether in, they're in middle school or high school or college or even grown because i work with people all across the board is that sometimes i have to i have to not listen to them because i'll hear the phrase oh you just wait. Those middle school years are horrible or those high school years are horrible. And I'm like, I don't need to hear that. Like I'm like it. the day to day is sometimes hard enough and I can't let myself think about, oh my God, this is going to get even worse or, <laughs> and so I've kind of got to tune that out. So, you know, a little fatherly advice from one father to the other, just when you hear things like that, just let it go in one ear and out the other and run your own race. I love that. One of the things that I'm proud of between me and my wife that we did is when we were, before we had kids, everybody was telling us all these stories. And then like when we had our first, it was always like, well, you got to do this way and just wait till this. And we were really good at kind of trying to kind of mute those noises and, and zone them out because, you know, we watched, I'm a younger sibling and my wife is as well. We were able to watch our, our siblings have kids and see what worked and what didn't. And we were like, we're just going to go do it and figure it out our own way. And, and that's what we've done. Now, the proof is going to be in the pudding when they get older and uh, we see how they turn out. But right now, we think we're doing a great job. We'll, we'll be, uh, <laughs> we'll be judging that in 20 years, maybe, and see how they turn out. But so tell me, and you know, going from family into your the business that you're in, you know, Tama Wealth, you know, tell us about Tama. You're, the name comes from family, right? I love how you use the, your family's name. So tell us a little bit about that and tell us what you're, you know, what you're doing over over there and and how you got started and what your mission is and everything that you're doing so great over there. So Tama actually stands for my family. When you take the first initial of of my wife, Teresa, and the kids' first names, you get Tama. So there's Teresa, Aiden, Madison, Mackenzie, and Andrew. And as I explain this, one of the first things I disclose is I did not come up with that name. My My career mentor, Camille Jane, uh, very creative person. She's she's one of she's like you know an aunt or a grandma to our kids. She's the one that came up with that, which was uh, just phenomenal. And it really makes it easy for me to talk about what I do as a wealth advisor because my whole firm is predicated on family. So I'm sure you talk to other advisors, and you know there's a big push, especially if you listen to Michael Kitsis, 
this big push on niche and Carl Richards as well. Those those two guys are giants in the industry that I look up to and 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 follow quite closely. Is you know what's your niche? And mine, it's still kind of broad, but it's getting a little bit narrower. But the the genesis behind everything I do is based on family. Whether you have multiples, triplets, twins. I don't have anybody that has quads yet, but you know, I think anytime you get, you know, more than two kids, so three plus, you know, it's just a, it's a different ball game in that whole, you mentioned basketball. It's funny. None of my kids play basketball, but it's a good analogy where, you know, zone versus man to man defense. It's like when you have three or more kids, you know, you're automatically in zone defense. There's no more man to man because there's you and your spouse and you got three kids and and that's that's i think one of the uniquenesses that's i think really underrated when it comes to parenting you know a, a bigger family with three or more kids and full disclosure neither Teresa and i set out to have four kids we we <laughs> wanted one and you know ended up with with four so that that's uh that goes to show just take life as it comes right and those uh, in even in our industry right we all are we're, we're all about financial planning i think that that's something and i, I love your perspective on it you know is you know w- people come to us to help give them some sense of um direction and some sense of certainty of, of what needs to be done to get to the future but you know even in financial planning there is no certainty it is a it is an art it's an art not a science right it's got to be molded and things happen right something in life happens that you have to change it and that's what i think makes this industry so important how how do you from your perspective help clients realize that because i don't know if the industry realizes it sometimes i think that it's just because of financial services you think about insurance and banking it's like very transactional sometimes people view wealth management as transactional but it's it's not, you know, you don't know what's going to happen and you need someone to help have a clear mind and a vision for how to handle those situations and plan for them in the future. How do you help your clients see that and understand that value from you? Yeah, that's a great point and question, Matt, because, and it's been a transition. Like I look back to three or four years ago at a kind of a pivot point or pivotal point within, with my firm, Tama, where I, when I started the firm, people really saw me as the portfolio management person, the the money guy, if you will. I really wasn't focused a whole lot on the financial planning, the wealth planning that I do today. And one of, I think, the uniquenesses of Tama and how I communicate it to people is a family office. And most people would never know what the term family office means unless you were, were, you know, a high net worth individual, like you have $5 million in assets or more. But what I wanted to do and create with Tama was this family office where people could get wealth planning, portfolio management, and tax prep and planning all under the same umbrella. So think of family office, but a, a, a new definition of it for the mass affluent for people like you and me. Like I'm looking in the mirror and seeing, you know, a young family with young kids. You have multiple financial priorities. You have multiple life priorities. And like, how do you do all that? And so three or four years ago. I became real intent on, you know, basically re-educating my current clients and obviously moving forward with, with newer clients on this is what I'm about. Like the value that I provide is all in the planning. Like I get compensated based on the assets under management. And that's it's still like a a balancing act, if you will. There's there's good and bad of that of that model. But you know, it's not that I that portfolio management's not important. Your returns are important, but as research study after study shows 
your your most of your return comes from saving and compounding. It's not me picking like the best stocks. I mean, even though I mm -hmm. feel like I'm pretty good at it and have a good track record, that's not where all the value's at. It's making sure that you're making the right decisions, whether it's putting money into 529, maxing out IRAs, 401ks, you name it. And and also the things that people don't want to talk about and don't want to think about, and especially for younger people like us or have younger kids, estate planning. Matt, you don't know how many people that I interact with at the beginning of a conversation that have has young kids like we do that don't have an estate plan. And that scares mm. the bleep out of me. It, and Because it just takes, you know, a rare event, yes, it's rare, but it, I've seen the 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 downside of not having that those documents in place and how it can just utterly destroy a family because now you have warring two sides of, of, of warring families going at each other for custody and mm -hmm. you know asset control and it's just it's a nightmare. Yeah, and I mean, I think to your point too, right? The, a lot of the value, like you said, doesn't come from the the stock picking or even the asset allocation. It comes, and you know, study after study shows it's from the psychological handholding, the behavioral coaching, right? The, the reason is is that we are all built on our on our past, and our past and our emotions drive our decisions. And you need to have someone that has a differing view that can take that away and has experience seeing it from another lens. And I think that. Our industry as a whole needs to do a better job of what you're communicating, of what our value is, right? Because it needs to move away from stock picking because that's how it was for so long, right? My investment guy, my money guy, my stock yeah. guy or gal, whatever it may be. And it's more of my wealth my wealth coach, right? My wealth, my wealth uh, representative, my wealth rep, whatever it is, because that's what we're helping with, right? We're helping with a lot of other stuff, estate planning, like that is huge and so necessary. Yeah, I, I wish there was a better name to come up with to, to kind of describe like what we do and how the industry is a lot of, a lot of it is starting to transition into some of this. You know, I hear the term CFO, personal CFO thrown out, and I've used that before as well, mainly because my background, like my last corporate job, I was CFO of a private equity company. So like I get that and there's a there's a strong tie-in because there's a lot of moving pieces there. But when when you say you know, behavioral coaching, you know, you get a lot of like, you know, <laughs> weird looks and like, what, what does that mean? And, and, and it's, there's so many layers and so many of the, of the, of the onion peel, if you want to, to peel back that it's, it's, it can be overwhelming for people. And when I first sit down with people, with families, you know, typically there's some connection, whether it's a referral, or they know me personally, but a lot of times those people are scared. I mean, it, I don't discredit the fact that somebody coming to me, knocking on my door, calling me to have a meeting is a very, very critical step because they went probably through a lot of fear just to pick up that phone call. And now they're mm -hmm. here sitting in my office or sitting on Zoom now virtually. And it's I'm very cognizant of that and I'm very empathetic because I think a lot of people have the the hardest step is taking that first step to just talking to somebody you know, a stranger even if they you know do know you from down the street or you know you know they're a relative of one of your other you know one of my other families it's it's still really really difficult yeah you know i always tell people and and i wrote it in i didn't write it in a book but when i talk about my, my the recent book that i wrote i i say it it's like you know someone coming to speak to a financial advisor is basically like walking into a room filled with people bare naked because you're exposing yourself to these stranger and in order for them to be effective you have to 
you have to let them know of where you made mistakes, of how much you're worth, how much money's in your bank account, like how, how you're dealing with your kids. And usually financial advisors, wealth managers, et cetera, know, you know more about the family just by because they've sat with so many people than they do because you're able to analyze them. That is a huge, like to your point, that is a huge step. I'm curious, how do you, how, how can advisors, how can we as an industry help people take that step and, and get through that fear easier, right? Because that is, you're so right. There's so much fear they have to go through to get to that point of calling a wealth manager. One of the things that I do is I have this phrase, I just lay the fish on the table. And when I'm typically meeting with, with a family for the first time, I let it be very clear that I, I'm, I know going into that, that meeting, I'm probably going to bust a lot of stereotypes because I let them know right away that I don't know if you've ever worked with anybody before or what your vision is of what a wealth advisor does, but I can tell you that I'm, I'm very different than probably what you think. And a lot of it stems from, I'm going to be in every aspect of your life. This is just not a financial transaction. Like you kind of mentioned earlier, this is about me being an integral part of your family and me feeling like I'm a part of your family and you feeling a part of my family. And, you know, I can, I can hear some people or the eye rolls like, yeah, really, Paul? And, but I truly mean that. And I, I try to really get that point across that the way that I can help you most if, is if you let me in. But I also tell people, and I'm just working with a new family that came on board, and I, could, I know they're very trepid about this. And I tell them like, look, it's okay. It's okay to be afraid. You know, we're not going to, you're not going to trust me a hundred percent on the very first meeting or the second meeting or the third meeting. And that's okay. This is still going to take time to build, even though you've chosen to work with me, which I'm honored about and excited about working with, with, you know, all of my families, it will take time. You know, are there some people that come in and are just like, yep, here you go. Here's everything. Here's my life. And let's roll like now, now, now. But, you know, other people, they need to take time. And, and part of my job is to take a really good temperature of the room and determine, you know, where that family's at. You know, is there a lot of trepidation? Is, is, are they ready to go? Is there anything else I need to know about? So, you know, a lot of it is, is asking questions. And I think that's the part you know, when we're trained as certified financial planners, there's definitely not enough on the psychology side of, of what we do as far as learning uh, how to do this. And that's like when I'm looking at like all the continuing edu education that I have to do, a lot of it is tax, but most of it is psychology. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that, is, the, that is the opportunity in the space. And you talked about Carl Richards and Michael Kitsis, two just giants in the space, which I have so much respect for, you know. They're, they're talking a lot about psychology as well, right? The mental aspect of, of managing money. And I think that that is so important. And, you know, and that gets to the point of, of, I think, a challenge that some advisors still have is how do you build trust with your clients to make it not seem transactional, right? Because your client, this is a relationship. It goes beyond, you know, it's a relationship. And in a relationship, I think where advisors have challenges, you know, you in a relationship, you have to be both sides. I have to, as the advisor, share about my family like you do, and you have to share about you. And I always talk about that as like giving the gift of speaking or going second, right? Where I always share about my family and what I, my struggles and everything of that nature first, so then they feel comfortable to share about themselves, right? They, it's just a psychological aspect where, you know, some people are always like, well, I'll let them talk first. 
and then I'll talk. But actually, if you talk first, it makes people feel comfortable to then start talking and sharing their own stuff. And you get a lot of information and insight that way and can help them and build a relationship. Yeah, it definitely goes back to kind of what I just mentioned about, you know, letting them know that I'm going to be a part of their family and they're going to be a part of mine. And, you know, I give them as many real life stories that I can about, you know, the, the personal struggles that Teresa and I have, you know, with managing our own money and managing our kids and how do you, how do you live the lifestyle that you want while still saving and putting money into, you know, a 529 plan and all those things. Like we still, we struggle just like everybody else. We have the, the same financial lifestyle and, and priorities that, that everybody else has. And as I kind of described to some families, like everybody has a, their own pie and it's a matter of how do you slice up that pie to be able to help you sleep better at night, to have you feel peace of mind, comfort level. You know, those are all the, the outcomes really of what we do as, as advisors. And everybody has a different pie too. And so like it can be sliced different ways. Some want bigger slices of this and want some bigger slices of that. And I, I think, you know, you, I, I, I relate a lot to what you're saying because of the behavioral psychology and the psychological aspect that, you know, we need more of in this space. And, and I think that more and more advisors need to kind of continue to put more and more emphasis on that. And you've done a lot with social media and also, you know, with the emotional balance sheet. Tell us a little bit about the emotional balance sheet, what your goal was, how you got started. Like if another advisor is listening to this, how can they start something like the emotional balance sheet? Yeah. So I, I was a writer and I, I still write a little bit, but when I first started the firm, I, I would write, you know, an article once a week. And unfortunately, I never really built up a following or, you know, relationship with really my, my readers. And when I guess when I first got exposed to podcasting, probably several years ago, I'm like, this is a really cool medium. Like I was into it. Like I love listening to podcasts. And so I did some research and it's something about getting inside somebody's ears, like audio wise that you can't necessarily get to like through the written word. And so I did a lot of research and one of the, the podcasts that I follow, Animal Spirits with Mike Batnick and, and Ben Carlson, and actually Ben lives here in the state of Michigan with, with me. He lives over in, in the Grand Rapids, west side of the state. I reached out to Ben, who ironically has a set of twins and a plus Something, one. Something's up in the water up in Michigan right now. I don't understand. <laughs> There's a lot of multiples. So I reached out to Ben. We we you know conversed over the years and said, you know, look, what? how did you guys do it? And he's like, well... First of all, if you need to get a hold of Matthew Passing, because he's the real brains behind this, he's our producer, whatever, that makes us sound great. So I reached out to Matthew and spent a couple meetings with him. And like, this is something I wanted to do. I at least wanted to try it and, and see how it went. And so I launched the beginning, I think my first episode aired the beginning of October 2020. And now I'm over 50 episodes in. And I can tell. I've gotten a much better response from the podcast than I ever did in the eight plus years of writing a weekly blog, if you will. And that relationship that I have with my listeners and getting feedback, because I never got feedback when I was writing. And I get feedback quite often now with with the podcast. But as I, I've told people before, and it's <laughs> I, maybe I shouldn't disclose this, but the podcast is just, it's about getting information from me just as much as it is for my listeners. So let me let me re-clarify that because that probably didn't sound right. 
Like I thoroughly enjoy the interviews that I've done and I'm looking to talk to experts about problems that that I have that are near and dear to my heart. Well, what does that mean? A lot of the same families I work with, they have the similar issues and challenges. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking to solve a problem for me and my family. So it's a uh, yeah, it goes to that point where if you know one person in the room has that question, there's probably multiple people in the room that has the question, and the first the person that asks up, then everybody else learns from it, just like that person, and you're being that first hand up to get that question answered, which is, is amazing. And you know, I, I think that podcasting's taking on a life of its own. It kind of had this wave early, and then it kind of fell off, and now it's having another wave again. And um, you know, I'm always interested, and in also you know, from other advisors that I talk with. How did you, you talked about how you got it up and running and learned about it, but how did you get the following base, right? How did you grow the podcast? How do you get it out there? Is it only to your clients? Are you trying to do it to prospects? Like, tell us a little bit more about how that all has happened with you. Yeah. So, we, so I made a major shift and brought on help. So, my, my assistant, uh, Kelly Graham, who's actually based in Commerce, Georgia, ironically, okay. that I live in Commerce, Michigan. But I started working with Kelly in, in June of 21, and she's been incredible. So she changed the form, the, the artwork of our of our um, podcast label, if you will. She does like a two-minute like headliner clip because most of my conversations are anywhere between 30 and, and, and 50 minutes as well. And so she does these little headliner clips that she posts on you know social media, mainly LinkedIn and, and Facebook. And you know, I've been lucky. Like I, I'm not shy about reaching out to some pretty big names like a Dan Pink or a Scott Hanselman who have been tremendous voices of, of, you know, my show or promoters on my show. And so that's been one, one way I've grown, but really the secret is it's just being consistent and you know, no one wants to hear it, but you know, producing a show every week. Now I take the holidays off, but you know, that, that repeatability, that dependability that, that I expect when I listen to, you know, my favorite shows, knowing that, you know, they're going to be there, you know, weekend and week out or every two weeks, whatever their schedule is. I, I chose to go on a weekly basis. Is it a lot of work? Hell yeah, it is. But <laughs> the conversations I have with people, those are what keeps, you know, me energized and keeps bringing me back. And I think brings back the listenership. What I didn't like doing was the kind of like the post-production stuff. And that's where Kelly comes in. She handles all that for me. And it's been it's been a home run. It's and you can see the the time, you know, as, as far as like unique downloads from the time that we started doing that until now, it's been like a hockey stick. Yeah. That's it. I mean, in I mean, social media is another thing that you're really prevalent on. And that's like one of those areas where and that's and how, that's a love-hate relationship, by the way. <laughs> It, it, I, I'm right there with you. I mean, I think that it's a, a necessity because everybody's there, but it's also a detriment, I think, to people's minds from behaviorals and psychology, if we're talking about yeah. that, of their views on different things. And But you've used it in a good way. And I mean, I, when I was finding you and researching, I use mainly LinkedIn and my own blog, et cetera, and this podcast. But you know, how do you utilize social media? I mean, you share a lot about your family. It's not just for business, just sharing that type of stuff. I think too many people just share it like, Hey, here's my business. Let me sell this. How do you use it? And, and in your mind, as a leader, I think of you as an innovator in this space. 
How, how is social media going to help our business and our industry going forward? I think you hit the nail on the head. And I just started transitioning into this probably like six, seven months ago, where rather than pushing out like strictly like content, I don't think too many people really give two craps about that. What people <laughs> really want is to know more about me and what I'm doing. And, and when I look at the things I post mainly on LinkedIn, the engagement that I get, the highest level ones are all about me posting something on about my family, how Tama turned, you know, 11 years old and, and the story behind it and, you know, things, things of that nature and, and showcasing one of my um, clients who was, was nominated one of the hundred most influential uh, women in Michigan, Jill Mariano. And mm. that, that post alone like blew up. And I had people reaching out to me that, you know, I'd never heard of before. And like, who is this woman? And, like explain like she's a neighbor of mine. She lives like literally like two blocks away. And That's it's just really special. It's special things like that that really get people attention attention. And you know, I I really appreciate that because I'm 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 in this to help people and and sharing pieces of my life I have found are much more valuable than Here's the latest, you know, three or five, you know, tax strategies. You know, yeah. people want to know about those things behind the scenes. Like those are the things I'm working on with my family, families I work with. They don't necessarily, you know, want that in their social media feed per se. Yeah, I mean, it's so it just goes to show that relationships are built on bi-directional sharing of things that matter. Family and personal side matters. And too often I think we're advisors have struggles is that they want to just talk about the markets, the economy, and the data. And it's like people, that just goes like right over people's heads. It's a matter yeah, of completely family away from and that. your struggles. Yeah. And where you want to go. And I think that you do a great job with that. You know, and your path to here, right? I mean, is this what you always intended to do? Did you always want to be a wealth manager? I mean, what did you, first off, what did you want to be as a kid? Let's start there. And then how the heck did you get to here? Helping families. Yeah, I was wondering if you were going to ask this question because I did not take the traditional route to starting my own, you know, family office firm. But it, it it did start really young. Like I started investing when I was 13 years old. I still remember the first two stocks that I bought was Microsoft and a um, I do forget the name of it, but it was a graphite shaft maker for golf clubs because I was like golf was my my thing. My dad and I golfed and we bowled. Like that's that's that was my bonding time with with my dad growing up, and so I just kind of got hooked. And I was I love sports, and I I saw the markets as being like this game, this very competitive game. And the thing that I really liked about it was your score is always on the scoreboard. Like people know how they perform. Like you look at you know my financial statement or my, my family's financial statements, they know how, how how they're doing. And sometimes it's great and other times it's not. And so, but at least the score, the, 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 the uh, score is always up there. So people know, and I'm always working to, you know, beat our benchmarks, but really, you know, tie the performance into what people want from, from their lifestyle and, and financial goal perspective. So, I never thought of making this a career. When I graduated from undergrad, I, I thought like I met with a couple of the, the bigger financial firms. I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that because I didn't like cold calling. <laughs> so I actually, my first job out of college was at Kiwa Island, the ocean course, because I wanted nice. to get into golf course management. 
And that didn't last because I wasn't my my golf game wasn't as good as it, it needed to, to be. So I came back from South Carolina to Michigan and started working at Ford uh, Motor Company in finance and then actually moved into engineering, which is kind of like my what my background was. And so and then my corporate career took off. Well, people still knew that I managed my own money and and knew a lot about the world of, of finance. And so I'd always get these questions like, well, what should I do with my 401k or what about this or what about that? And so I kind of built a, a side business without really knowing it. And then as time went along, I just got to the point where I'm like, this is really what I want to do. But I didn't know how to do it because here I am. I had a successful corporate career, you know, making six figures and to just give that up and, you know, start from scratch really wasn't going to work, especially back in 2010 when I had a set of triplets. But ironically, I started, founded Tama the day my triplets were born, December 9th, 2010. But what I did is I kept my career, my corporate career full time as I built Tama on the side, plus these, you know, newborn set of triplets. Like that was crazy. That was insane. And I still look back and think about that time and, and trying to juggle all that, plus be a husband to Teresa and, you know, follow these kids. And I'm like, I don't know how I did it, but I do know that I, I try, I try not to get too emotional about this. I had a set, a couple sets of families that put their absolute trust and faith in me almost 10 years ago and gave me a shot. And to this day, those, those families are still with me and they're some of my, my best friends. And it's been, it's been the ride of a lifetime, like the Bob Iger biography. It's been, it's been incredible. And the one thing that, that especially the one family and, and I'll name them Kim and Dan Bailey, they're just phenomenal people. And I've, I've, I've to the point where I'm now working with their two grown children who are doing extremely well. But the thing is, it didn't just stop there with Dan and Kim. They became proponents of, of Tama and they have referred me, I think six or seven families over the, over the years. It's just been incredible what, what they've done for me. Yeah. That's, I mean, you know, you speak of ride of a lifetime. I, I actually just did finish that book and it's a, it's an amazing story. And yeah, I, I think that it goes to, again, I, I think that your story and your journey, not only is it incredible, but goes to the point that, you know, relationships matter and everybody's got to have someone take a risk on them. Right. And, you know, yeah. Dan and Kim took a risk on you and, and you made the most of that opportunity, but it also shows that there's something that they believed in in you at that moment, which is the person you are like in the core, which is what this whole industry is about, right? Is that, you know, people believe, it, people don't select their advisor based on performance. They select them based on, do they trust them and what's inside of them and can they relate to them? And that's our unique value proposition. And, and I think that Tama is such an amazing example of that. And I just, I want to thank you for sharing that, man. That is that is really awesome. I love that. I, I really do. And I'm so. I mean, I can't imagine working working at Ford, raising triplets, and starting a financial advisory business. You know, it's been it's been four four years now that I've been full time now in the in in Tama, my firm. And again, it goes back to another special person, Camille Jane, who created the name Tama, is the one that really you know, push me to say, okay, you, you, you've got this now. You do not need the safety net 
of, of your corporate career, you need to, to do this in order to grow and, and, and to be able to work and serve more families that need you. You're, you. There comes a point in time where, and she was absolutely right, my corporate career was holding me back. But you know, it's it's still a really tough decision to, to take that step. But I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm really up. glad that I, I had her in my corner as well. And, and today she's still a great mentor and, and dear friend and she has this really unique relationship with my with my kids as well. It's it's so special, and I'm I'm fortunate to have her in my life as well. That's amazing. I mean, and to your point, right? You have family, you have work, you know, and you had multiple jobs at one point. I mean, how do you balance work and home, right? How how do you go about it? I think that's such a struggle in this whole country, anyways. I mean, how do you how do you handle that? Yeah, and 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 to me, is I don't. Meaning there is no such thing as that, that balance. Like, so when you think of a, a parallel seesaw, if you will, and I've had this conversation with, with other people too, that, that have been on the emotional balance sheet podcast is there's times where, you know, your work is taking precedence and it needs to. And then there's times where your family's taking precedence and, and they need to. So it's never like this perfect, like everything's like in line. There's times where, you need to put more effort into one versus the other, but it, it's not like you're completely ne- neglecting the, the the other side either. And so, to me, I've I've really taken a strong approach to productivity management, if you will. I'm a huge Cal Newport fan, James Clear, even even following Michael Kitsis and, and Carl Richards are are great. You know, when it comes to this, because again, you know, you're I'm learning from other advisors. That's some one really unique thing about the XYPN network that I'm a part of. You know, you have all these advisors across the country and we're all doing the same thing. The same thing meaning we're all advisors. But and you think that there'd be this competition that you wouldn't want to co- cooperate or uh, work with others, it couldn't be further from the truth. Like one of my my largest clients that was referred to me this year came from one of the XYPN members. He's a local guy that I know that we've we've set up like a a mastermind group and we meet almost once a month. He's like, I'm not taking any more clients. You know, you should talk to these people. They they probably really use your help. And they've, it's just been a really blessing. It's, it's just funny how these things work out. But, you know, where I was going with that is I learned so much from other advisors as well you know, through XY, through, you know, Carl Richardson's, you know, Richardson's group, the society, the society for advice, you know, it's, it's really changed my life and my business to be part of such a, you know, supportive and and growing community. I love that. Yeah. I think that what XY is doing and just as the industry as a whole is starting to get on this kind of focus of helping each other out, right? We're all doing the same things. We can learn from each other. There's enough opportunity for all of us to be successful. Well, man, the story of Tama and your family and you is, is really incredible. And I, I want to be respectful of your time, but I, I do want to ask this one last question before I let you go. Oh, actually two. Uh, one's a little bit easier, but where do you see yourself in 20 years? You know, where do you see yourself 20 years from now? So hopefully I still have my mental capacity with me. And <laughs> you know, if that's the case, then I'm still doing what I do. You know, I'm hopeful that maybe one of the kids show an interest in 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 the firm and and working with me or potentially taking it over one day. But that's a really interesting question because in 2021, 
I came across a, a gentleman by the name of Brian Portnoy. I don't know if you know Brian or not. Yeah. From Funded Contentment. And that was a conversation that changed my life again, because with him and actually reading a lot of Morgan Housel, I got to the point where I'm like, what is enough? And I see, I, and again, it was something I saw over and over with the families I work with struggling with defining what enough is because, you know, the society that we live in today with social media and, you know, what's mine and trying to keep up with the Joneses, it's, it's even harder today. And so I spent a lot of time reflecting in 21 and actually built a eight part mini series. I called the algebra of, of family financial planning that kind of dealt with this idea of defining what is enough. So I don't know what 20 years will look like. I hope that I'm still, you know, working, you know, in the industry and, 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 and helping families, you know, that's the beauty of what we do. I can do this for a long, long time and the joy that it brings me. And, you know, going back to a story like Dan and Kim and being around for, for them and their kids and, you know, potentially their grandkids, Emily and Jess, you know, that's, that's what makes it really special. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. If we can, if we can all plan twenty years out in the future, we may, uh, we may be able to work a little bit uh, more sophisticatedly to go towards that. Um, the the last question I have is is a simple one. I think that your story, like I've I've continuously said, is 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 something to to admire, and and people are going to be inspired by it. How how can they follow you? Get in touch with you and keep following your story of your you, your family, and your firm. The best place for, for people to connect with us is our website, which is tamacapital.com. So that's T-A-M-M-A capital.com. So you can go there. You can subscribe to the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. Um, you can subscribe to the Algebra Family Financial Planning as well. We're also on um, LinkedIn. So if you want to connect with me directly through LinkedIn, just type in my name, Paul Fenner, and, and we're there. Same way with Tama Capital. I would say I'm I'm more engaged with LinkedIn than I am Facebook. I, I have a Twitter account, but definitely not on it. But the best way from a social media standpoint to connect with me is 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 LinkedIn, but our website is, is probably the best resource. Awesome. Paul Fenner, thank you so much. Best to your family and uh, continued success for you and your firm. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate you having me on and let me share my story. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 